0: Welcome
1: to another episode of New Books in Religion. I'm your host, Christian Peterson. For each program, we choose a new book that's especially interesting and we chat with the author. For this program, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jim Wellman, professor of religious studies at the University of Washington, about his great new book, Rob Bell and a New American Christianity. As one of Time magazine's 100 most influential people in the world, Rob Bell is a name that is now known well beyond the confines of his megachurch in Granville, Michigan, or within in evangelical circles. Bell has been at the forefront of contemporary Christian movements in America and is situated in a unique liminal space where he refuses to be defined. In this new book, Jim Wellman probes Bell's life and examines how he can serve as a lens for understanding the shifting boundaries of American religious landscape. For Wellman, the enthusiasm and success of congregation like Bell's is indicative of the failure of fundamentalists in American Christianity. The refusal to be labeled by a particular interpretive framework reflects the growing American population's self identity as nuns. This might be why many from the spiritual but not religious persuasion are attracted to Bell. In fact, after the publication of Bell's most recent book, Love Wins, in 2011, he has been charged with being a universalist who is amending the gospel. So, what does Rob Bell reveal about American religious culture? How is it changing? And where is it headed? In my conversation with Wellman, we discuss the role of performance, charisma, media, the artistry of the sermon, the relationship between the secular and the sacred, gender inclusion, experience over belief, discipleship for here and now, and the importance of media competency. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jim. Welcome to another episode of New Books in Religion. I'm your host, Christian Peterson. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with with Jim Wellman uh, from the University of Washington in Seattle, and we're speaking about his uh, great new book, Rob Bell and a New American Christianity. How are you, Jim? Very good, Christian.
0: Good to talk with you.
1: Yeah, thanks for, for making the time. Uh, your your book was really great. I think uh, it, it gives a very wide cast on, on Rob Bell and his significance in kind of the American religious landscape. So um, before we get into that, though, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how how you got interested in religious studies. Um you know, unlike many people who study Christianity, uh, you are a sociologist. Um, so h- how, d- how did you get into that kind of uh, particular interest of, of studying religion from that standpoint?
0: You know, it, it, I mean, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll cut it short. <laughs> I, I got my Master's of Divinity at Princeton Theological Seminary in and really did the hermeneutics of religion. That is kind of a philosophy of religion. Then went to the University of Chicago Divinity School for my PhD and started in psychology of religion and enjoyed it, but realized that it's really hard to come with any real results when you do empirical psychological studies and uh, realized that sociology gives you kind of a, a grasp on reality that is... A little bit more secure than a, a psychological perspective, and uh, and just got enthralled with Weber and and the whole history of, of sociology, Durkheim, and others. And uh, before I knew it, I was doing a study for my dissertation on a church actually in downtown Chicago called the uh, Fourth Presbyterian Church, and I wrote a book about that church from nineteen. 19- uh, 13 till 1985 called the uh, Gold Coast Church in the Ghetto, a study of, of Fourth Presbyterian Church in the context of race and religion and class in Chicago. So, you know, sort of fell in love with, with the study of empirical uh, religion in, in all its diversity and, and, and complexity. And so it was, it, I've, you know, really enjoyed it ever since. Um, and how, how did this particular project come about? Uh, the Rob Bell project, you know, I, I, it's interesting. It was in, in summer 2011. Um, a editor from Abington called me and, and, uh, and my name had been suggested to her uh, about writing a possible book on Rob Bell. And, and, You know, I frankly said to her, I'd kind of known about him a bit through some other people. uh, But I basically said that he would probably be the only evangelical pastor I'd be interested in writing a book on. Um, And, you know, frankly, it went from there and signed a contract. And just as I signed the contract, he uh, decided to leave his church. And that's the Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And that was in the September or so of 2011. And the contract on the book was was really to get the book done in in about a 12-month period, which was also quite different than what I had done before. Obviously, uh, you know, most of my books are pretty, you know, take a lot of research and, and writing two or three years, but, uh, so this was a fast job and it was also a job, it was also a, a piece of writing that would be accessible to, uh, I think all full range of people, not just academics, but, but clergy and lay people and people interested in religion vaguely and deeply and all sorts of different levels. So it it was really uh, a unique and different book for me to write. Um, and uh, one of the things that I did in the writing process was to send chapters out to 10 different types of people and ask them the question, you know, was it readable? And then they'd give me feedback and I'd write, rewrite. But uh, so, you know, one of the, you know, fun parts of this book is the fact that you know all sorts of people have said that uh you know they can't put the book down or it's very readable. So that's that's been an exciting process for me and you know a very different one.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree. Uh it's definitely a a, a book that you can get into more than your your typical academic book and uh as an academic it must be very uh, it must be a great feeling to know people really enjoy reading your
0: books, right?
1: Uh, well,
0: you know it really was. When when I've I mean I've gotten a lot of emails or or texts about this, but uh, when people say I can't put your book down, it kind of blows your mind, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, you know, and and I'm this book came in the midst of really a, another bigger project that I'm doing on American megachurches. We we have a data set of twelve national megachurches that uh, we get a huge. Uh, data set of, of of interviews and and quantitative data, uh, and um, and it's a much different type of book, an academic book. Um, so that this book interrupted that book, and uh, so I have to come back to the American megachurch book now, and uh, and I have to kind of re- really rethink how I do uh, how I write books these days. So it's it's a, it's been it was a good experiment.
1: Yeah. Um you you kind of use Rob Bell also as as kind of a, a lens to look at um what you see as kind of a changing uh landscape of American Christianity. Um why why do you think Rob Bell is uh kind of a, a good figure to do this with? You know, you said he's the only
0: evangelical you, you would write a book on. You know, I really didn't know enough about him to know that that would be true. But, you know, it was a very intensive research process where I listened to about a hundred different talks or sermons, you know, read all his books, but, uh, and I transcribed most of the, most of those sermons or talks. So it was a lot of material and, I think he's a very interesting figure um, just on his own um, and a very creative guy in terms of how he preaches and how he kind of performs his preaching, but also how he thinks about the church and about the faith. And on the one hand, he's definitely comes out of that evangelical tradition. He, He, out of the Midwest, went to Wheaton College. Um, you know, had a born again experience, gave his life to Christ, um, very conservative college, of course, Wheaton, but one of the inner and, and, and grew up in a Baptist church and, and, a non-denominational church. Um, but actually, interestingly enough, Wheaton college became a place where he really experienced a real burst of creativity and he began, you know, he, at, at Wheaton, he started a band. And so he was, you know, he wrote lyrics and he sang songs and played instruments. And and that was very, you know, and, and he experienced Wheaton as kind of this, almost this kind of experiment in, in creativity and innovation, both in terms of the arts, all sorts of arts, but also in terms of the faith. And he, and you know, often people I don't think of, they don't think of Wheaton College as the fount of creativity on spiritual issues, but it actually became that for him. And um, but what happened was, uh, you know, in the midst of sort of almost going uh, big time with his band, he's you know, he came down with meningitis, and you know, felt. You know, obviously it was a very difficult time and and, uh, a very difficult experience and uh, kind of the whole band thing collapsed and and he really had to rethink what he was going to do next. And so, you know, in the process he uh, at a camp, he experienced, uh, you know, sort of the holiness of picking up the Bible and trying to explain it to people. And, you know, that was kind of his calling to to be a preacher. But, you know, I think what's interesting about him is that um, for him, the church, most churches that he experienced uh, felt like places where the plug was pulled out. You know, there was no electricity. And, you know, for him, the faith was electric. And... um, and electric in its creativity, electric in its power, electric in its ability to create love and, and justice in the world. And so, uh, you, you know, he went from there to Fuller Seminary. And, you know, again, Fuller Seminary is not, you know, I'm not sure it's known for a hotbed of creativity in, in religion, but it's a very interesting seminary. It's kind of a moderately evangelical se- seminary, but... Full of people from incredibly diverse denominations and backgrounds, you know, over 100 denominations and really experienced a lot of different kinds of folks there and had an African-American preaching professor who really, you know, sort of amped up his ability to perform. And as he said to me, we did about, you know, 15, 20 hours of interviews and time spent a lot of time together. And as he said, from the beginning, he was fascinated with performance. And so much so that at one point in an interview, I said, I said, Rob, you seem to be more in love with the, you know, the, the process of performance than, you know, the gospel. And, you know, Rob Bell is a very lugubrious person. I mean, he likes to talk, and and uh, so it was the first time where I actually saw him stop. And he said, "Well, that's an interesting observation." And and uh, then you know, sort of came back and said, "Well, I've seen a lot of preachers who were sort of forced into preaching, and and they kind of sucked," as he would say. <laughs> and so, so for him, he really wanted to make the performance of preaching, a kind of ecstatic event. And I don't mean it just in terms of, you know, pure feeling. Um, I found his preaching the most interesting part of all of the writing or, you know, he did in in the sense that he was so, you know, not, not complex, but it was so, you know, sort of rich with material from the Bible and other places. And uh, it was just—it was a pretty extraordinary experience. I was—I was, I was kind of—I was taken aback a little bit. And as I've said, you know, before to in other places, I've said, you know, that there really wasn't a clunker in in the, that batch of sermons. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty—I've listened to a lot of sermons, and uh, so I'm pretty picky and I'm pretty critical. So it was. It was a, so it was. It was quite a, in a sense, almost an exhilarating experience um, to watch somebody who I think was developing as an artist in the pulpit, and to watch that process take place and and over time. So you know, it was kind of a chronological look at the process of Rob Bell's development. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm not um, sure if that answered your question. but Yeah, no, that's great.
1: Um, what Maybe you could, so, you, you, like you said, you do look at uh, his life kind of chronologically and kind of almost in, in episodes. Um, c- could you talk a little bit about the development of, of uh, Mars Hill Church and
0: what kind of his early role as preacher there was like? Yeah, it was in 1999, and a lot of people get Mars Hill Bible Church mixed up with Mars Hill church in Seattle led by Mark Driscoll and interestingly enough they they pretty much almost simultaneously started these churches and um, what's interesting about that is that Rob Bell's early first sermon is still, you can listen to it on online and it's similar to a Driscollian sermon and Driscoll is kind of known as, you know, neo-Calvinist, hardcore, inerrantist, almost kind of a fundamentalist preacher. But, you know, has a huge following in Seattle now. Um, And so Rob Bell, in a sense, started out in that vein of conservative Christianity. You know, the blood of Jesus and, and the importance of, you know, conviction of sin, and and he was good at it, right? I mean, that first sermon, um, it was amazing to listen to a 28-year-old who was so certain of himself and so certain about his own righteousness and, you know, and, and also even in the midst of that kind of seriousness, had a really quick wit, very funny guy. And, uh, you could really see how people could be attracted to him. And the truth was he, he had been an assistant pastor at a Grand Rapids church nearby. And, and then began, you know, as he said, he felt a call with his wife, Kristen to, to start a new church. And <clears throat> I think, you know, they sent over about 300 people to, to, to start this new church. And, uh, you know, apparently, like, you know, a thousand people showed up, or that's the story, on that first Sunday. Um, and in a year and a half's time, uh, Bell literally had 10,000 people coming to, you know, services. So it really was an explosion. Um, that's, that's pretty, you know, it's not unusual, actually, from now my research on megachurches to see them explode like this. But it does take... Um you know an entrepreneurial personality who's who's a charismatic individual um
1: yeah, and you talk yeah. so in this this is you name this chapter charisma and um i 'm wondering if you could talk a little bit i mean how much of this idea of being a, a charismatic personality and this idea of performance uh, played a part, I think you even uh, mentioned in the book that people accuse
0: him that it's just, just an act even. Yeah. I think he is a charismatic personality for sure. And, and, and being a charismatic personality, there's, there's nothing wrong with it inherently. Um, You know, it's just some people have it and develop it and some don't, but, what it is, and I th- this was really interesting. This, this really sparked my interest in charisma in general. And that is charisma is the ability for somebody to empathize with the struggles and, and difficulties of, of a period of time, a culture. And, and usually a person who's, who's gone through those struggles, him, him or herself, but and then they, they themselves come to some sort of solution and then become, become a sort of proxy to listeners who want to struggle and work through that, uh, whatever that struggle is. And what's, one of the things that's fascinating about Bell, and I show this in the earlier chapters, is that he was intensely introspective as well. In the sense that he was deeply aware of, of some of the struggles in his own family, his, his growing up period, uh, a sense of real, you know, sort of deprivation in certain ways, and also a sense of alienation, I think, from, you know, the various groups in his high school, and which he felt very deeply. I mean, I think he sensed, you know, he, he was never a part of the popular group. He was never a part of the sports group. He never a part of the intellectual group. He was never, he really was, he had no group. And, um, and, and in that process, he said he discovered a, a Jesus who was just like him, you know, kind of subversive character who was on the margins, um, but had a message and, um, and then began to deliver that message and, in, in a, using kind of, these qualities of performance and, and immediately people are are just struck by him. And, and, you know, you, you come upon, I did interviews with people at his church and they were clearly deeply, you know, it was what, what he did was for people. And they said this to me is that, you know, there was kind of a transformation of consciousness. Um, so it wasn't just about, you know, conversion or whatever, but they really felt like, wow, there was something powerfully transforming about his preaching.
1: That's really interesting uh, that that even that rhetoric, because one of the things that um, Bell said, which you noted, is he, he talks about, he says, we're rediscovering Christianity as an Eastern religion, as a way of life. And as someone who studies Asian traditions, you hear the same kind of rhetoric, you know, transformation of consciousness.
0: What what is he talking about here? What does he mean by that? Yeah, that's yeah. You're you're kind of the ideal person to talk to about this. Um, I um, I think what happened, and 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 like I said, this first sermon was kind of this typical foundationalist positivistic view of the Bible as inerrant as an inerrant text, and then you proof text your way into into the faith. And I think he simply said, oh my God, you know, this is you know, this is wrong. And there's something wrong with this whole hermeneutic. And and in part that transformation came because he got in touch with uh, with Christians and with Jews who were deeply informed by historical studies of the first century. And as he said, he he began to study Jesus as a Jewish man in his context. And, you know, the whole Bible in its context. And, and as he said, it turned the Bible from a black and white book to, to color, you know, so everything became alive and, and, you know, and as he would say electric and, People, you know, when there's there were times when he was preaching and I thought, Wow, this is electric. I mean the dude really knows how to bring it. And and um so you know, any in any event, that transformation in himself, of course, uh was translated into uh his teaching and preaching. And most of his teaching and preaching, you know, is about a half an hour, forty five minute hour-long sermon, and, you know, that I think, you know, generally having six or to six to 10,000 people coming on a Sunday in two or three services, and these were, you know, he was a performer in the sense that, you know, he was doing kind of crazy stuff on stage and doing all sorts of gimmicks, um, but, you know, in his mind, it was all for the sake of, the, uh, of a transformative message, and then, and then, as you say, and and as he says, really, um, the truth of faith is only um, it only becomes true in in incarnation, as it is enfleshed in acts of charity and justice and, and benevolence, um, and then that became a real, uh, you know, a critical that became kind of a vein within this decade long period at his church you know how do we incarnate this message how do we make the church not not a institution but a mission of its own you know and that that that's a uh, characteristic of what is called missional type of christianity where the church doesn't do mission. The church is mission, um, and in you know many different ways uh, that began to happen. And and you know it fascin- it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I was really struck by this transformation. Yeah. So um, maybe you could talk a little bit about
1: um, you know you kind of have mentioned a couple times uh, kind of the artistic quality of of bell. And, um, in one of the chapters, you even you title the chapter canvas. Um, so how, how is bell? I mean, he, I think he would say he sees himself as an artist. So how is he an artist? And specifically what, what is the role of the sermon? Cause I think this is really where
0: this artistic quality comes out. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, I think art for him has always been a a mechanism and I don't I don't mean that in, in the cold sense I mean it a mechanism of communication of grace and you know I think I quote uh, Norman McLean here you know art uh, does not come easy um, and and when art comes it is a form of grace. Uh, in the sense that it's able to communicate kind of the in between place that artists find between, you know, what is known and what is not known, you know, what is sacred and what is profane, what is um, certain and what is uncertain. And, and, and kind of those liminal spaces where of mystery, uh, of shadow and light and you know i think a lot of people would say that it's in those spaces you know whether inside the self or outside the self is where you know the questions are you know we ponder the questions and we we come up with potential answers and and that's kind of the the really the action of transformation and so for him the bible was no longer you know, sort of a proof, a a, 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 dead proof texting, uh, um, mechanism, but the Bible really became the story or narrative. And, and this story became a powerful launching point for, for, you know, transformation. And, um, you know, for instance, and, and, and I talk about this and, I'll never forget this sermon. It was a, it was a sermon on Ezekiel. It was the first Ezekiel's first vision of God. And, you know, where he's in Babylon and away, away from the temple. And, and, and in a sense, you know, God is in the temple and God, God should not be showing up in Babylon, but, and yet in the vision, you know, this is a vision of God. And, um, and, 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 you know, sort of Bell draws out this idea that this explosion of creativity in this vision. And if you read that vision, it is a, it's a tremendous picture. And, um, and, 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 and the fact is that um, God is everywhere. You know, the revelation is that God is in, in all places and all things and, and not, uh, you know, stuck in one place or in one temple. And so he begins to think of God. This is what God is like after our religion disappears. And I think that began to become a theme for him that, you know, the point of this stuff is not to, you know, uh, practice a religion, but to practice a transformative relationship to, you know, this kind of super empirical force, which is, you know, for him, God, um, and, uh, you know, so the, 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 then the artistic process really is the process by which you um, communicate the possibility of a transformational um, process. And as we all know, you know, great art has that ability to transform. And so for him, then, you know, Bell would even take this further. That is, then wherever you find this truth or beauty, wherever it is, you know, whether it's uh, in the church, outside the church, wherever it is in, in, in the world, that's where you find this transforming power, this transforming spirit. Um, and so, you know, so in other words, God is not stuck in in one place.
1: Yeah, and I think you quote Bell as saying this. He describes it as the center is everywhere.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, he. So a little bit later on, he he kind of uh, you know it's interesting because he really kind of morphs through various stages, um, and I guess uh, you you describe the, or the title of this chapter is radical, and it's a uh, I guess stemming. Uh, mainly from this book, and maybe so you can tell us a little bit about this book and then how it fits into what's going on with with him in the church at the time, but it's this Jesus Wants to Save Christian's book seems to be kind of representative of this stage in his career.
0: Yeah, no, you know, whatever Bell got into, he really dived in, and he sort of is driven by impulse to some extent, but when he got into this kind of liberationist theology you know he dove in and one of the ways he did that was by you know moving with his family into uh into a grand Rapids slum in 2007 and 8 for about two years and somebody said to me or somebody asked does grand rapids have slums and i said oh goodness you yep yes they sure do um you know I, and um so it was a, it was a it was a risky proposition and um and but he went for it and um in the process you know along with Don Golden who was kind of i think an evangelical liberationist type himself and and really inspired bell in that way um, began to think about the importance of justice work in the world, and then this book, "Jesus Wants to Save Christians," really was a critique, not just of consumerism, but you know, critiqued the Iraq War, critiqued the the you know critiqued America as a as 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 really a type of empire. That was, you know, exploiting others for for its own good, and compared, you know, America to to Egypt and to Rome. Um, it was, you know, so in that sense, it's a hard hitting book. I mean, it's, this is, I I think in a sense, it's more controversial than Love Wins this later book, uh, but you know, people. I guess, pass it over. But, um, and also, you know, very interestingly, and and I'm actually thinking about this a lot more, I'm giving a talk on this in a couple, in a month or two, but he really, you know, this is really important because as he would say, faith is about descent, not about ascent. And he would give um, examples of people who had taken, you know, kind of, moved out of upper-middle-class neighborhoods into into slums and ghettos and, and people who had really taken risks with their life, you know, in terms of, terms of service to others. And for him, there was a way in which he wanted and tried to produce a desire in his people to love God you know, love the orphan, love the widow, love the one who is the least, the lost, and the last. And, and to truly see that, you know, Jesus is the one who is uh, identified in the poor. And um, he really wanted people to fall in love and desire that. And to do that within a, Evangelical kind of middle Midwest like atmosphere, you know. That's I think it was kind of remarkable, and you know, certainly countercultural. Um, and to some extent, it really worked. I mean, he he had those folks really going um, and doing things that were quite remarkable. Yeah, Jim. I'm wondering if you could uh,
1: talk a little bit about the congregation this doesn't you know you allude to this in the book it doesn't come out as much i wonder if you've got a feeling in your research about did did the kind of makeup of the congregation change dramatically over these kind of shifts that, that rob was going through or i mean how 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 was the congregation reacting to these various uh, kind of propositions he would put forth and kind of yes
0: approaches right you know it's a good question you know, early on, he went from a he, – he started out in a – in like I said, in a conservative mode, you know, where no women were in leadership. I don't know, The year and a half, two years into the Mars Hill experiment, he opened leadership to women. You know, he said something like they lost a 1,000 members. It was controversial. I think um, these years of, of the, you know, the Don Golden years were controversial. One of my key informants on the book, uh, you know, I quote him by saying uh, he hated that book, uh, and he, and you he, you know he's a Republican and and really and you know there were some key leaders within that church that were very much a part of a conservative Republican Midwest uh, kind of ethos, and so. Um, you know, Bell, in some in some ways pushed it pretty hard, and you know, on the back of that book, he, you know, he he says, "Hey, you know, there's a church in Grand Rapids that's just, you know, just remodeled their church for twenty million with you know using twenty million dollars, and at the same time, it's now been reported that twenty percent of Grand Rapid Grand Rapid population is in poverty, and he didn't say that." you know, it was terrible that that church had done this. But, you know, that's pretty much implied in that quote. Um, So this was, he's certainly not a, he certainly wasn't a prosperity preacher at that point. Um, So in that sense, very much going against, you know, what you typically find, you know, frankly, in most megachurches. But, you know, long story, well, so, you know, he lost folks along the way. Do you, do you think he would also gain other people, though, at the same time? Yeah. yeah. And so what you what in my interview process with the 20 or so uh, leaders and parishioners in that church, these were remarkable people. They were uh, fascinating folks who thrived in a church that was very transformative for them and, in, 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 in really every way the, you know, one of the things I really respected about him too, was, you know, they bought this Mars Hill church, which was basically an old, um, uh, you know, mall for a dollar. And they, they, they sort of painted it and, you know, put up a stage and put up, you know, uh, some, you know, some, 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 uh, um oh gosh, what are they called uh places for you know to show slides and 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 all that, but they really didn't do much to that they didn't do much in terms of remodeling, and they never went into debt to remodel or to build a cathedral or to do really anything with that place they didn't put up signs they didn't glorify it in any sort of they didn't put luxury items in. And when he left the church in two thousand eleven he left it without any debt. And throughout the period of time where where he was serving the church, you know, they were giving away a quarter, twenty five percent of their budget, which is twice as much as most as as mega actually give away. And that was in direct help to, to AIDS education in, in nations of Africa and and uh, and a water well process that the the engineers within the congregation had developed very exciting things you know lots of ministry excuse me lots of ministries in in uh in in the slums of uh grand rapids
1: yeah um so his most recent book is this this very controversial book so i'm wondering if you could kind of describe what this book is and then explain why why is it so controversial
0: yeah, no, it really is the controversial book. It came out in 2011. Um, he had talked and, <coughs> excuse me, he had talked and and been through the book with the congregation even as he was writing it. So they were aware of it, and and but again, they lost some folks, and but also gained some people in the process, and it was. It came out, and it was a bestseller, and, and that really made his name in certain ways. And in the process, he was named, you know, one of the time's 100 most influential men in the world, which is kind of crazy. But, um, and in that process, really got national attention, international attention, and then uh, created context, contacts with uh, Carlton Koos, the producer of Lost and began to to develop these ideas about television in Hollywood. So, but in the process of 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 that, the book was controversial because um in a sense it really asked questions that I think a lot of evangelicals were asking but certainly not writing about. And and the question was um It was, you know, whether or not people, whether or not there was a hell and will, would people go there forever? Would they consciously suffer for eternity? Um, Would people who were not Christian explicitly go to hell? Um, Did you go to, you know, was there a second chance after death to, to, to come to Christ? Uh, so he began to ask all these questions and do it in a very provocative way. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say very readable way, very entertaining way. And and so just asking that question really uh, engendered a lot of, you know, controversy about, you know, John Piper, who's a kind of neo-Calvinist, <clears throat> very much a celebrity in the evangelical world. You know, said, tweeted something like "Farewell, Rob Bell," and you know a lot of people didn't know what that meant, but it, you know, certainly it was as if he were saying, "Hey, time for you to leave the the evangelical camp." And others were, you know, equally pretty critical. Um, Albert Moeller at the, at, you know, the Baptist the president of the Baptist Seminary, um, very critical, and and so, you know. I think in a sense, kind of questioning that whole dynamic of heaven and hell is really going to the heart of a conservative evangelical worldview. You know, faith, in a sense, is about being saved. Uh, And that salvation is not just heaven, but it's away from hell and um and so when you question it um you know people begin to question whether you really are in in a conservative worldview, are you really a christian um and so you know people began to really ask that question about him and and uh, so many people would say you know he's he maybe perhaps you know rob is now just a liberal um, and that's not a good thing in 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 in, in, in even in, in certain parts of the evangelical world.
1: Um, what so? What exactly it,
0: does he say about salvation and resurrection? And well, you know, it, it's it's pretty complex because he never calls himself. He never uses the word universalist, but that's sort of the implicit. Uh, the implicit sort of assumption is that. And, and And here's this is what he would say. He said, he, you know what's most important about salvation is, is, um, is where the story starts. And the story starts in Genesis one and two and where God says the creation is good and everything in it is, is good and it is beautiful and, 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 um, and so in between, of course, from Genesis uh, three to the beginning of revelation, you know, the, the effects of sin have, have been death and destruction. Uh, but where it ends, and this is important for uh, Rob Bell, is that in Revelation 21, you know, Christ comes back and redeems the world. That, that is the earth and creates a new creation. And Bell would say that new creation starts with Christ and Christ's death and resurrection uh, is is the revelation of that new creation, and so the new creation is happening everywhere, and is happening now. It's, it is not just for the world to come; it is in this place now, here and here and now. So it's kind of a creation-centered spirituality, uh, which is you know, in, in in the sense that salvation is both imminent. And, uh, and transcendent. Um, so, I, I don't think, you know, he never denies that there is a hell. He simply asks the question, would a God who loves us in Jesus Christ, who seeks to redeem us in Jesus Christ, who overcomes death in Jesus Christ, who um, has victory over death and sin in Jesus Christ, would there be any reason for anyone to go to hell, unless they really want to? Um, and so that's kind of the that's the basic assumption, I think. And and in that sense, from a liberal perspective, there's nothing really radical here. Um, but from an evangelical perspective, that, that this, this is a new territory and, and and coming from you know one of their evangelical superstars, it was disturbing.
1: Mm-hmm. What so? What what happens in the the post uh, Love Wins world
0: in, for in terms of the Rob Bell? Yeah. Well, you know. So, in other words, um, you know, and there's a, there's a sort of way in which Love Wins was the point where he, I think, began to think about transitioning out of Marcel, and and a lot of people or some people suspect that he was being pushed out, and I don't think that's true at all. Um, I think he's a very creative person. He he never, in fact, had a office even in the church building. Um, he always sort of, he, he, especially towards the end, he, he really wasn't a part of the administration of the church. Uh, he was really Almost kind of a contract employee, you know. Come preach for us, then go and do your own thing. And so, I think there's a way in which he started to feel like, "Wow, I've told my people to go and 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 really, um, you know, explore their creativity and their in, in, and their and what God has called them to do. And, and now it's my time to do that. And so, in the process he was able through, uh, Carlton Cousy, he sold a script to, uh, some Hollywood executives and for a possible television show that was never piloted, but he also, they also got interested in, in a possible Rob Bell TV show that was kind of a hybrid, uh, spiritual religious Christian show. Um, and, and he's still kind of working on all that, but, uh, but in fact he's he just finished a couple new books that are just about to come out um and so he's continuing his writing and 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 speaking but i think you know the future is open for him and and uh you know i think i'm not sure if the tv gig is going to work out but uh it's he's uh he's a risk taker and uh is kind of one of his life principles is 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 you know there's nothing to fear, uh, and there's no reason to, to fear, and so one should uh, take risks where God is calling one.
1: Now, one of the, one of the things that seemed really interesting, and, and I don't know enough about it, uh, is the, I think a general impression of how Christian preachers use media is very simplistic, you know, I, I I get the vision of like the 700 Club, um, and I'm I wonder if you could talk about the role of media for for Bell because he seems to use it in a very unique way. Perhaps that's different than than kind of other people in the American religious landscape.
0: Yeah, I I you know a lot of people would say that his Numa series, which he developed, he he shot his first Numa uh, film, which was about a 12 minute film and. And he, saw, he shot a series of 24 of them, and he shot the first one on, on 9-11, actually. And um, <clears throat> this was uh, kind of a unique um, sort of mini-sermon and uh, on various themes. And um, they began to develop kind of a in style uh, that was very interesting in terms of camera angles and uses of... Um, of, of, of paint and art and music and different themes. And so, you know, the, 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 there was a message, but it was also, it was always a message that was somewhat, um, uh, <clears throat> in Kuwait, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very direct, but it was very powerful in terms of showing some principle of, uh, of faith transformation. And, um. So he, I think, he really was attuned to sight and sound, touch and feel, and and um, and he brought this into his media, and the way he used his media. He also began to do, uh, uh, basically, kind of these lecture formats where he'd go to uh, theaters within you know cities across the nation and actually into Europe and. Elsewhere, where he kind of put on shows, you know, one of the shows was "Everything Is Spiritual," and you know, um, and he basically kind of tell the history of of uh, Genesis from a scientific point of view, trying to you know arguing that that Genesis and science and the development of the evolution of creation were were always a spiritual event to begin with and so he it's very some very interesting I think his use of media was you know really quite you know innovative in that sense and um, so it, it's just interesting to see whether it'll be trans, if it, if translated into kind of a a TV format I just that'll be interesting to see if that's possible
1: um, the, one of the other things that really struck uh, me as I was reading the book and uh, this tour uh, that you just mentioned reminded me of it is this idea of kind of the people that might uh, identify as this I'm spiritual, not religious type. Um, where where do these people fit in? Because they seem to, to gravitate to Bell in some way.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think he – in a sense, he was kind of moving in that direction uh, and, and is moving in that direction. As, as he would say, um, you know, in talking about this new book that he's come out with on March 12th, he would say that, you know, God is not asking us to go backwards and to kind of re- and regress in terms of, you know, kind of our human development and evolutionary consciousness, but to go forward. And in, a, in other words, God is ahead of us, and so I think what He would say—I know He would say this—I've heard Him say this—is that in some sense the world and artists in the world and, and scientists in the world are, in fact, you know, sort of ahead of the church and and embodying, incarnating. You know what, what uh, you know God is really all about, and so that in that sense, you know, this this whole idea, you know, sort of the again, kind of going back to this, you know, I, I don't know how deeply he was impacted by this, but you can, you know, having read some Eastern Orthodox theologians, you can you can begin to to see some correspondence with. Uh, Bell's thinking,
1: um, and that
0: is, and that is, you know, that uh, you know, where there's truth in the world, where there's beauty in the world, where there's goodness in the world. You know, that's kind of the essence of the spirit of God. And um, you know, whether it's anonymous, that is, whether it's named Christian or not, is is really kind of beside the point. But that's where God is. You know, God is the evolutionary process uh, and and, and, and incarnation of that truth in the world.
1: Um, How do you think he would define this dichotomy of religion versus spirituality? Or I don't know, maybe, I don't know if he's talked about this specifically.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think... I'm not sure if he would talk about spirituality per se. I, I haven't heard him talk about that much, but I think for him, you know, the church should be a catalyst for the kingdom of God. He talks a lot about that. Um and so the kingdom of God is this incarnated goodness and love and charity and, and justice in the world. And and so, you know, what you believe about god or christianity is really beside the point it's what you do with it and how you incarnate it and flesh it in the world and his his last sermon was you know which is the last two pages of my book is you know kind of a beautiful sort of pay on to that to that whole idea that those who um you know as he would say beware of people who uh Turn the flesh back into word. The whole point of the faith is to make the word flesh. And so, you know, as people gather around the Eucharist and share love and prayers and share their money and share their common life with each other, <clears throat> you know, that is the body of Christ in the world. And so wherever that happens, that's where you get truth. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's great. Um, so Jim, kind of just stepping back or looking at this from kind of a bird's eye view, what would you say uh or or how how might we think of Rob Bell um, and and kind of the future of American Christianity or what what does it say about American religious traditions and 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 where they're going possibly?
0: <laughs> well, it's it's a good question. You know, I think there's. We can see several different um, movements in 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 kind of American Christianity or American religion per se, and and one of those is is sort of the decline, of course, of the mainline. Uh, a a a to some extent, some decline within the American Evangelical Church, especially among the younger generation, and a. And a rise of nuns, you know, as, as they say, you know, 20-25% of us now are, are what are called nuns. But these people are, you know, not necessarily atheists, but, uh, you know, they, they probably fit that category, spiritual but not religious. Um, and not much interested in religion. Um, there's a real, I think, backlash against religion, per se, in part because of the Christian right and, and sort of the politicization of, of religion I think a lot of Americans find kind of repulsive um, so the question is you know what will fill the vacuum um you know some would say that you know this kind of religion religionless christianity might be just what the doctor ordered it may not be you know I it, it's it's an interesting question I you know I, I I uh I su- I suppose kind of putting my bias into this, you know, I, I really appreciated Bell's point of view by the end of my research and and, and could see how that could be a very positive uh, movement for the future of of American Christianity. Um I but again, you know, I was sort of more taken by Jesus wants to save Christians, the importance of, um, of, you know, kind of this radical empathy and and uh, identification with the outsider, then with Love Wins. I think Love Wins kind of was a, kind of a pushback from that and a, and, a, and a sort of an interest in personal transformation, which is – a little bit more conventional in my mind. But who knows? We'll see. Yeah. I, I, I've said to him, you know, I've said to him that I, you know, I kind of hope he goes back into preaching. I think that's his best mode. I think he's a really excellent preacher. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think we need good preachers out there. I, you know, I just, we don't have that many of them. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I think he's a guy that doesn't want to be stuck in one place. You know. Anyway, so. Um, Well, Jim, before I let you go, um, could you could you tell
1: us a little bit about what what you're working on and what things uh, you got kind of in the pipeline?
0: Yeah, you know we're. uh, Well, one, you know, uh, actually, uh, right with the publication of Rob Bell book, we published a book on religion and human security where we kind of the thesis was that uh, or is that. In terms of security, global security, people are beginning to look at human security rather than national security, and and that's a book of edited uh, chapters on various sites around the world where we examined how religion either facilitated human security or damaged it, and uh, so you know that's that's another project that that was certainly of interest of mine. The the but the. Project that I'm writing on right now is, um, is a project with uh, – actually a book with Oxford Press on High on God, how uh, megachurches conquered America. And, you know, we like I've said, we have this huge data set. And one of the remarkable things about this data set – we didn't really think that we were going to discover this – is that people just enjoy and love megachurches. You know they love the experience of them. They feel that, that they meet their spiritual needs. They and you know in this huge amount of data, we over and over begin again discovered that people said this is this experience of megachurches is, is really uh, literally like a drug trip. And so that's you know we're, we're trying to figure that out what that means and and you know who's. Why and megachurches really are, are relatively a new phenomenon on the American cultural landscape only since nineteen seventies. So, but they really are the dominant vehicle of 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 you know American Christianity right now. So it's you know anyway, it's a book that I am um, really thinking a lot about right now, and, and I haven't quite figured out yet, to be honest.
1: <laughs> Great, yeah it sounds it sounds wonderful, and obviously fits. Fits well on with this one. Yes. Um, well, thank you very much, Jim. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and it was a, it was a pleasure to read your book. I hope uh, I hope many listeners will pick it up. Oh, I appreciate
0: it, Christian. Really enjoyed it. Okay, thanks. You bet.
1: That was my conversation with Jim Wellman from the University of Washington about his great new book, Rob Bell and a New American Christianity, which came out with Abingdon Press in 2012. Thanks for listening.